Hello and welcome to the One Nation Pragmatists. I'm Neil Freshwater. I'm Nick Lampen. Right, Nick, what's on today? Uh, right, today we are talking about uh, the NHS and the government's latest proposal. Loads of money! Welfare. Yeah, magic money trees. Yeah. Uh, we are talking about the SNP walkout uh, in the Commons. Yep. Um, they unfortunately couldn't slam the door behind them. Well, I'm sure they would have tried if Black Rod wasn't there. Uh, the Glasgow College of Art and the, the fire there, uh, which was yesterday. Yep. And Dave Dimbleby exiting uh, Question Time. Yeah, he goes at the end of the year, is that right? Uh, it is, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, done, he's done a quarter of a century, so I imagine it might have been his, uh, his yeah, uh, yeah. target. And he was a very young-looking David Dimbleby, and the set was a very sort of... Uh, if you if you look at the videos online, they're all it's a, it's a really interesting set. It's it's sort of it it's basically a pastiche of the House of Commons. Really? Yeah. I will have um, to. And will... obviously now it's now because it's been BBC'd, it's now all sort of you know flashy and sort of cool and you know white and whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very it's very sort of portable and it sort of looks the same wherever it goes. And I suppose that's the idea. Uh, anyway, what of the NHS? One of the NHS. Well, today, uh, Theresa May announced um, a, a vast wad of cash um, for the NHS, uh, which was uh, £20 billion, mm-hmm. uh, for the NHS boost. Um, and then as the day went on, in the way these things do with Theresa May, um, she, got, she got absolutely um, broadsided by the Labour Party and John MacDonald, of all people, saying, but how are you going to pay for it? Mm. And Theresa May's answer to that was, "We haven't, basically, we haven't thought of that yet, but I'm still announcing this money." Mm. Uh, so that was that was a particularly impressive, um, well, typ- typically, you know, typical uh, um, uh, May-esque approach to things. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying to do, I'm trying to trying to say this elegantly without saying oh god she's done it again yeah but, oh god she's done it again it is um, it, it does sound like that the um they're trying to um uh I mean it just sounds like they're trying to you know beat uh, Corbyn at his own game um, because one of the great things about Corbyn is that he just makes all these promises which people apparently uh, love uh, and, and cheer at however those of them at Labour Live uh, uh, will have seen that there were far fewer than. One might have expected, but anyway, uh, lots of people get up, cheer about Jeremy Corbyn, but then the easy attack is to say, "Well, how are you going to fund it?" And then Theresa May comes along and says the same thing, and then Labour asks, "How are you going to fund it?" And similarly, she has uh, no response. But perhaps it's sending out a new message, and that's maybe the key, because uh, maybe that it's 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 promised now, and then worry about how you're going to spend it later. Well, yeah, and and part of it, part of the the early part of the statement, and before the news the news cycle moved on, was that. This was going to encompass not just more spending, um, but also reform. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in a a health sort of a prevention rather than just health care. Yeah. Um, so, which is all incredibly laudable. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, because they didn't think it through, again, uh, the whole story has that's all been lost mm. in the midst of, you know, John McDonald saying, "Well, how are you going to pay for it?" And, yeah. And now, when Jeremy Hunt says, "Well, it's going to be, it's going to come from three sources: Brexit, economic growth, and the taxation system." Yeah. Um, you have to assume that economic growth will continue <laughs> post Brexit. Yeah. Uh, and the taxation system can, can handle it, and that Brexit is going to deliver the Brexit dividend. Yeah, I think um, it's, I think it's a real problem because I think it could have been a really good policy um, because. You can say, you know, yes, we've got twenty billion, but you could have spent a year uh, actually putting it together, and uh, this, I think there is some comprehensive reform, or at least not even reform, but just some sort of approaches and ideas that you could you you, you could put in. But unfortunately, as is ever the case with Theresa May these days, everything is on the back foot, and you're doing it basically. She was probably trying to appease uh, a combination of uh, the the rest of the UK, i.e., Scotland and its walkout, trying to give them something a bit a bit a bit sweeter. Uh, and at the same time, try to uh, appease the Brexit lot, uh, and suddenly say, "Well, maybe if I um, if I uh, honour this 350 million a week extra for the NHS, uh, people might start actually 
having a bit more faith in me. But again, it seems to be a, a, a sort of shoddily thought out uh, process. Um, yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think yeah, Theresa May, I, well, if she, today, if she had a school report written, it, it, would, it would simply say Theresa does not think through the consequences of her actions. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, I, I just, I find it bizarre that she hasn't learnt, seemingly, from the the election Mm. you know and this ongoing you know i mean i I can't believe that no one stands in 10 downing street and says but prime minister what about yeah or or whether they just sort of think oh well jeremy corbyn does it and gets away with it Mm. um and so we can yeah i mean what they've said is uh, i think jeremy hunt would say that the the detail will appear later on uh in the autumn budget which i think is november but um, it's politically not a very good thing. It just seems to be, you know, the wrong, the wrong thing, the wrong yeah, ground to do. Like, when you're already in, in, like the, in the brown stuff for, for um, uh, you know, you're already having a bit of a, possibly a, 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 a bit of full rage, but there is this sort of uh, war with Scotland or the SNP anyway at the moment. Uh, you've got the war with your own uh, backbenchers over Brexit, etc. You kind of think if you're going to do something as big and as bold as this, you know, milk it for everything it's worth and plan it properly rather than just sort of doing it backwards and... and and in true yeah. esque style, and and unfortunately, by the time it comes to the um, uh, the budget, it'll have been forgotten. Mm. You know, it'll have been demolished as, yeah. a, as a policy, and that and that will be that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does mean it does have wider consequences for the for the UK because I think although it's uh, NHS in England, uh, well, it's it's Westminster funding for the NHS, but obviously other parts of the UK will get it through the, the Barnet formula. So I think Scotland will stand to get around uh, a two billion pound uplift. Uh, and I suppose slightly smaller figures for, for Wales and Northern Ireland. Although I, I uh, not being an expert on the Barnett formula, couldn't wouldn't dare to try and uh, uh, calculate it. In fact, have you ever actually seen the Barnett formula written down? Uh, no, I'd it, rather avoid it. It is it is it is rocket science by the by the looks of it. But uh, uh, but I think I think it's good because I mean I, I worked in health in health for uh, I'm not a health practitioner, but I did work in in health for four or five years until until fairly recently and. Um, there is a lot of, there seems to be, for example, the big push towards primary care, uh, stop relying on purely on GPs and hospitals uh, and make use of, sort of a lot of other allied health professionals and so on. And it very much falls into that preventative agenda. Uh, and any, I think any um, health policy reform at the moment is very much going into that early intervention, stopping people uh, going into hospital, or if they do have to go into hospital, keeping them out once they're out. Uh, whether yeah. it's care in the community, whether it's... Um, uh, having a, a system whereby people are able to get more direct access to, to, to people other than a GP, uh, whatever it may be, everyone's living longer. Uh, there's multiple um, complications that people are now having. You know, they're living to the 80s and 90s. It was before you might have one thing and then you were that was it. But yeah, you know, you've got a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of this. Um, and there's a lot of good. I think a lot of good aspiration to, to, to reform, but it just doesn't seem to be. Um, there seems to be no sort of urgency behind it in a way that's just well, i think yeah i mean i think that's true but I, I think that's also a lot of the time it's i suppose it comes down to that government or i think it comes down to that government pushing from the top mm. and and saying you know you're going to reform but in the way we want you to yeah rather than you know doing it bottom up now in in the, the highlands uh, uh there has been a change in social care yeah and and social care has been, um, I won't say outsourced, but handed over to a, um, a, a community organisation. Yeah. And the the social care up here means that it's not the old style. We will come round and deliver your lunch at one o'clock. Mm. You know, you will you will have this and you will have that, and 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 it's pushed. It's much more representative of what of what the people need. So, I was listening to a program on this uh, a wee while ago. And there was one particular uh, instance where a chap was quite able to cook for himself. Mm. He was on his own, was elderly and frail, um, was able to look after himself. But the only thing he couldn't do was take his dog for a walk. And the thing that really stressed him Mm. was that his dog wasn't having enough exercise. And what stressed him even more was that he may have to give up his dog because he didn't think he was looking after it well. Yeah. So under the new system up here, uh, what they agreed and what um, they knew would really help him was for the carer to take the dog for a walk for an hour. Now, you can absolutely see why 
if you're looking at that from top down, someone would say, oh, well, that's a waste of an hour of, you know, uh, an hour of a Takera's time, and that's costing so much money. Yeah. But actually, in reality, it means that he can stay in his own house because he doesn't need to leave home. He doesn't lose his dog and then pine for it. Yeah. And is left all alone and ends up probably saving money because of because of the consequence of still having a companion. Yeah. It's a much more nuanced and, approach. And this is, yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, the 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 older. Yes, we are all living longer, but the old, you know, the 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 longer that people stay in their homes, we have to uh, refocus our social care mm. and our social services into people staying in their homes. Yeah, uh, and with the help that is important to them and works for them, rather than uh, work that works for the system, the help that works for the system, yeah, or fits you into a box. Yeah, I mean that—that that is the, the approach. I mean that, and that's I mean that, that is happening across Scotland. And in fact, I think it's happening across the UK. And that was the uh, what's commonly called uh, health and social care integration, uh, and that came about. I think it was in 2014. The uh, rather dully named Public Bodies uh, Joint Working Scotland Act 2014. And what that required was that um, legally, uh, local authorities who are responsible for social care uh, and uh, local health boards who are responsible for running the health service in the area would come together and then decide between themselves how best to deliver um, the health and social care in that area. Um, so it might be that you would just simply then say, well, actually, let's, we were doing it quite well. Let's devolve it back to the local authority to do this or to do uh, that or the health board to do this or to do that. But it sounds like, for example, in the case of uh, um, uh, Highland, they've found another organization uh, to deal with it. In a way, that's quite good because yeah. it does. It takes this holistic approach because one of the big problems with uh, people, particularly people in their own home, people who are older, people who need care, is that you've got services provided by the health board, services provided by the uh, local authority, and never the twain shall meet. And there's just, you end up having multiple people going in and out. There's no uh, communication between the two organizations. So I think that the principle of it is very sound. Um, I've not seen on the ground how much of it is... Um, uh, you know what sort of effect it's having, but I think the, the principle of it is is very good. It is meant to be uh, uh, patient focused, patient centred. Well, uh, quite frankly, if this pod lasts another thirty years, we'll both be able to report firsthand. Exactly. So let's just let's just hang on in there and see <laughs> see how it goes. Um, but as I say, yeah, I think that that is a policy which uh, I don't know how it's being st- structured in England and if it's still going forward. But certainly that in Scotland, it's 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 done at that level. So it's, as I say, it brings the brings the uh, two responsible uh, or existing agencies together uh, to then decide how best to collectively or individually uh, deliver it. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. Yeah, but I think, yeah, but I think, and I think things like that could have been, um, because there's been wider discussions and they've been piloting some stuff up in in Scotland and there's the whole thing which primary care is great because primary care, okay, you know, you've got people, uh, you're keeping them out of hospital. Uh, obviously, you've got the GP crisis, which seems to be not getting. I say crisis. I don't know if it's actually a crisis. They call it a crisis in the media, and I've just been a. Uh, I've just lapped that up. But you know, there is seem, there is does seem to be a problem in recruiting and retaining uh, GPs. But primary care is more about gen, than just general practitioners. Uh, the idea that you can go into a uh, a GP surgery, and rather than just simply having the GP who then refers you to some other organization who then refers you back and then you get referred to another organization then back to the GP then to another organization you have this sort of hub and spoke model which um, they talk about in uh, I think it's uh, Alaska the NUCA model and the idea simply is when you go in in, in layman's terms you walk into your GP practice and you've got working in there as part of the same team importantly you've got the GP you've got the local pharmacist you've got the dietitian you've got the physiotherapist the occupational therapist the speech and language therapist and so on and the district nurse so on and so on and you can walk into there and they can say, oh, actually, do you want to just have a go, and, go and have a chat with the occupational health over there? Just, you know, take a seat, they'll be with you in 20 minutes. That sort of model. Uh, and the it idea is... being is you can go straight into that service rather than having to go to the GP, oh, hello, I'd like to see the occupational therapist. Okay, here's a referral to go and see the occupational therapist or whatever it might be. Um, which I also find personally, is, 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 is a, with me, is a bit of a bugbear um, when you have to go, everything goes through the GP. There is a role for them to gatekeep absolutely, um, speak to any GP. And the things they can't get enough of are um, um, time. Well, time. Well, exactly. Money. Time. Time and, time and money. And therefore, what's really good value for them and what's a great uh, service to the community is to be able to have practice nurses 
um, and uh, local pharmacists working there because there's so much stuff that the GP will do, which they can then outsource to, or not even outsource, but you know, hand over to other professionals working in their same in their same uh, practice, um, yeah. rather than the I GP mean, who who could be dealing with the kind of obviously the GP always needs to be there, but there's so much stuff that could be done uh, with with, the, with other health professionals. Yet there always seems to be this fallback to the the kind of everything must go through the. The GP. I mean, you go to the go to France or somewhere or America, uh, and you you know there's, there's there's more of a kind of self referral model. Uh, yeah. Ten years ago, I remember you know I was working with some pharmaceutical companies, and the, the big buzzword then was all about you know patient self management and the fact that the patient could rather than have if you know if your general GP's practice up in the Highlands closed down, you could go into your um uh, your, your pharmacist and there would be you know the pharmacist would be able to give you advice there and then on the spot. Uh, and can you know prescribe you drugs uh, or treatment straight away, um, but, and I think that is happening to some extent. But it just doesn't seem to be. It still seems to be that you know. I mean, I thankfully haven't had to phone my GP for several years. I, I remember doing it four or five years ago, probably longer than that now, actually, probably seven or eight years ago, and it was a week waiting list, and I was appalled at that. Now the average waiting time. Certainly, I've got a friend who's a, in a <coughs> practice in Fife, four weeks to get an appointment to see your GP. I mean, it's well, ridiculous. I'd like, I'd like then, to say in the high, in the Highlands and up here, um, I can ring the night before and get an appointment. However, the outreach service is only available on Thursday morning, so I can only be ill on Wednesday. Right. Um, and if I'm ill on Friday, then I just have to survive. Yeah, I'll call the, the, call the uh, helicopter. One interesting thing about this this announcement, uh, and of course, it will it will be different, and it will be interesting to see how the the devolved regions uh, divvy up this cash. But in England, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. It's well, it, no, it won't, won't be enough. enough but it's doesn't matter how much it is, it, but it will not be enough. It's never I know, enough. but the, it won't be but enough. The, I know. I haven't finished that. I'm but joking. In England, the increase is only for the frontline NHS services like hospitals, GPs, and mental yeah. health care. Mm. So all the stuff on social care, all of the preventative medicine, is being, you know, not defunded. But yeah. it's, it's not. It's none of this money is going to, to that. So it's very nice in a short term, sort of, you know, if you need an operation, all that mm. sort of stuff. In the long term, you know, it's it, we're still building up all of these all of these problems that aren't being sorted, mm. aren't being sorted early on. So none and of it's I'd going to think... public health, for example. No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There was an interesting debate actually about public health, um, and in fact, there was someone recently criticising criticising it. But there was someone who was saying there was a the concern they had was that there were things that were being dubbed as epidemics, which actually they shouldn't be. So, for example, obesity is being seen as a public health epidemic. And someone said, actually, no, it's not an epidemic. You know, a contagious infection is an epidemic, but something which is a lifestyle choice, which is not contagious, which is purely to do with individual choice, is not an epidemic. Albeit it may seem statistically that it's an epidemic because it's happening concurrently. Um, and the, the question they were making was, that, well, actually, you shouldn't be pouring money into... Uh, public health to tackle things that are not actually public health matters, so obesity being one. Um, although you could argue you have True, obesity. True, but, but we then... all have to... It's it's fine, but sooner or later when someone gets type 2 diabetes and has to have their well, leg cut off and you know all the rest of it, 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 it then becomes our problem because we all have to stop it, paying it, for that. Exactly, it was, it was slightly devil's advocate, but you're absolutely right because then you do essentially have an epidemic because you know people start catching... You know They're not just fat and they have to lose weight, they start having problems that then require actual treatment you know uh you yep. can't you can't just reverse uh or you can sometimes reverse diabetes i gather but you you know generally speaking it suddenly requires a uh, medical intervention funnily enough i met someone the other day who had his uh leg taken off because of diabetes really terrible he was over yeah he was overweight and he genuinely he was telling me the story and and was expecting i was going to be sympathetic and you know, it was type two. It was absolutely. It was his own fault. He got mature, it. Type two being mature onset diabetes, rather than the yeah. type that you are born with. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to clarify mature to onset. listeners, mature onset, and and self self induced. Yeah. And you, so you were very right. So you were you were very sympathetic. Well, I was overtly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't quite bring myself to say it's your own bloody fault. But, yeah. 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 Right. Anyway, uh, Nick, Nick, Nick Lampen, the the right of the uh, One Nation pragmatist. Um, I just believe in in um, uh, people look, are responsible for their own yeah, actions. Fair enough. Look after yourself. I don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's great. I don't think that's too much to ask. No. You know. Um. Anyway, 
right, yeah, but, but it will be interesting to see what happens. Um, I dare say that the other devolved nations will uh, they will spend the money on health because there's no chance in hell that they politically would ever uh, do that. Um, for example, yeah, but, I, uh, but I, I would hope they spend it on on prevention rather than cure. Yeah, That's I think they will. I think, and I think there is a, I think across the board there is generally. I mean, there is a backlog essentially that you have to treat people that are already needing treatment, but um, the longer term it has to be on prevention. Yeah, and of course that goes on to the wider issue. You know, you know the, the argument around the, uh, you know, the obesity epidemic is, is well, rather than, um, you know, rather than um, uh, plowing money into um, uh, public health, you should be using your resources to, you know, intervene at, at, at the uh, at the outset. You know, child uh, child uh, television advertising or whatever it is. Well, um, or sugar taxes, that sort of resource and. In the, if the Conservatives in the 1980s and and beyond, and the Labour Party has been just about, hadn't allowed playing fields to be sold off, and there were still extracurricular activities at school and sport proper sport at school, yeah, um, that sort of training early on in life, um, you know, that's the sport training. Who knows? It may have helped. May have helped the, the com- combat the obesity. Since our children in this country are now fatter yeah. than Americans, yeah, goodness, um, yeah. We don't really have much of a leg to stand on anymore. Mm. Extracurricular activity—that's become a euphemism now, hasn't it, for other stuff? Doesn't that generally refer like to Netflix, politicians? Like Netflix and like Netflix and chill. No, things like uh, politicians are involved in extracurricular activities. <laughs> usually, oh, they're yeah. usually having an well, affair or taking taking recreational that's drugs. That's pretty much like Netflix and chill, isn't it? What's chill? Do you not? Yeah, you'll no. never get things. I'll tell you later off air. All right, fine. Is that embarrassing? Yeah. Is it? Um. No, but it's when someone invites, you know, they meet on an app and someone invites someone to come over and Netflix and chill. All right, okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, get, I get the drift, I get the drift. Yeah, I thought you might do. Right. Well, so anyway, so we'll need to... Yes, we will need to wait until uh, the autumn statement or the autumn uh, budget uh, in November to see what is happening. Uh, as far as regards England, obviously, at that, in, in that uh, period, uh, our colleagues in the, the Bob Nations will also have some ideas to what they're going to spend the money on. Yes, absolutely. But my guess is it will all be health-related. But uh, anyway, yeah, so that's that, 20, 20 billion pounds. Uh, oh, by the way, Jeremy Hunt also says that the Brexit amount will not be enough. So the 350 million, apparently, is, is, is he wants more, I think. So. Uh, but, uh, uh, well, that's good, because I think um, the uh, Institute for Fiscal Studies said uh, there wasn't going to be... Um, we couldn't use that money from Brexit because the UK's commitments to replace EU funding already used, quote, already uses up all of our EU contributions. Right. So, higher taxes. Higher taxes. So if they're brave, I mean, if they're, if they're really bright about it, they will uh, make national insurance and NHS tax. Yeah. Health tax and have done with it. Yeah, I think, I think right national, that's, that's national, national insurance is just a sort of, not a scam, but it's just, you know... It's just a tax, you know. Let's not pretend it's anything yep. else. Oh, it's a, you know, we're going to change this type one contributions, type two contributions. It's just nonsense. It's just a bloody tax. Just make it simpler for everyone to understand what they're being taxed and where the money's going. So yes, actually, an NHS tax is maybe not a bad thing. Yeah, I've done with it. And and then people, when it drops through, you know, when they all say we want more money spending yeah. on the NHS, and it drops through their letterbox every, you know, and they see how much money. Mm. In the same way we do with in Scotland with council tax bills, which also are our water bills. And you look at them and think that's an outrageous sum of money to pay for water. Yeah. And if people see their, you know, income tax bills or their national insurance and say, you know, that's going to the NHS. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe for the first time, there will actually be political pressure to to not so much hold down spending, but reform spending, just to or actually to get value for money yeah but um we we, we, are, the argument we already do get good value for money out there well, we get very good water up here i mean christ that water you get down south is just boat gives you the boat well my comes my comes straight off the hill so it? Well, mine's, yeah, pretty, but, mine's pretty damn good you, you, it's it's you couldn't tell it's from a you know you know when the when the holding tank is getting low because the water suddenly goes clear yeah, and that's always a bad that's always a bad sign. So you have to go back and put the pipe back in the in the uh, in the burn. Make sure there's enough heat coming um, through it. Yeah, and then make sure it goes brown again. Yeah, when you go to someone, like... a friend, go well, a friend of mine once said that she was she was um, she didn't mind uh, she didn't mind um, bathing in peaty water, but um, really drew the line when she couldn't actually see her legs under <laughs> the water. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. 
Uh, I remember the first time I experienced uh, peaty water. It was in a, uh, a, a gent's toilet, and I walked in and I and I looked down into the. That wasn't peaty water. That was peaty water because I flushed. Okay. I, I thought it wasn't peaty water, so I flushed it. When I flushed it again, I thought, why isn't this piss going away? Then I discovered it was just peaty water. It is the colour of piss. Let's be honest. Sli- slightly, um, uh, slightly uh, dehydrated piss. Or, or whiskey, as the case may be. Or whiskey, indeed, indeed. Yes. Anyway, we did promise we'd move on from uh, from uh, the NHS. Uh, what's next on our? Uh, uh, we have the SMP walkout. The SMP walkout. Um, yeah. yeah. You far away. Am I far away? No, I said you fire away. Oh, I fire away. Yeah. So the SMP, um, uh, where we were a few days ago, were in the uh, House of Parliament. The SMP group decided that uh, they didn't like the fact that there wasn't going to be a debate on the uh, Brexit as regards uh, the devolved nations and staged a walkout by using a fairly. Uh, I think it's quite a relatively well-known tactic whereby you ask for the parliament to sit in private, which is almost like a sort of euphemism, isn't it? But it's a sort of tactic because it only ever means, um, you know, it's a bit like saying, you know, how's your father? Uh, But it is designed to sort of have people thrown out because that's how it ultimately ends up. There's just kind of a a path. But anyway, the point was they were staging a a walkout of parliament to to, uh, protest against against the way they saw uh, the UK government handling uh, the Brexit bill discussions uh, as regards the devolved nations uh, was it uh, with a neutral hat on it was it a clever tactic for uh, the SNP um, I do you know what I don't know I it always I think the problem with politicians mainly is they like making a stand because it makes them feel that they're they're, they're doing something and they get all their supporters out, and then all the supporters jump up and down and say, oh, you've done the right thing, you've shown them, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, it's a bit like a teenager stomping out of a room and slamming mm. his door. Yeah. You know, it. yes, it makes the point that you've just, you know, slammed the door and made the, hell, the, the house shake. But actually, it still means that everybody just thinks, oh, God, teenagers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, does it make any difference? I mean, I heard um, Ian Blackford bang on on the radio afterwards about you know we he'd got lots of you know uh secret plans mm. uh to to uh to deal with things and they were going to use all sorts of parliamentary processes and um you know but he wasn't going to tell i think he was speaking to any mayor um he wasn't going to tell any mayor because you know that would that would uh that would undermine the the secret plans he had to do whatever mm. secret things he's going to do and i you know i just I, you know, quite frankly, you know, apart from policy wonks, political geeks, people who have podcasts, and and the rest, ninety nine point nine percent of the country reoccurring um, isn't aware of what's happened. Yeah. And nor do they care. I think that's it. People just do not get. I mean, it was shown recently. Uh, I forget where was it. Someone was reporting, but basically, there are still those people just do not care about about. Uh, devolution demarcations you know who's responsible for what at the end of the day it's about the message on the doorstep and this is the sort of thing which i think they're trying to turn from a uh what is basically a people couldn't really care less about it because it's a small constitutional nuance which really has no no significance uh, to something which is much bigger and i think it slightly ties in with what we were talking about in our last last episode about having some empathy with nicola sturgeon because she was sort of on the strategy which is probably quite a sensible one if you're that way inclined as regards to uh, trying to, to get another uh, independence referendum in your ultimate game of an independent Scotland. Uh, and you do slightly feel that they are, they are clutching at straws and they're basically doing whatever they can to try and keep this wedge in. Uh, because there's no chance in hell, for whatever reason, they would, they're going to allow... Uh, they, do, they, they do not want this to, to, to happen like, quietly. You know, it just, it just doesn't suit their, their narrative to suddenly for the Secretary of State of Scotland to turn around and say, actually, yes, here you go, you just, you just deal with all that. So... Uh, I do feel there's still a little bit of that, and I, it's, I, I don't think it's paying off. I don't say it's doing them any damage, but I don't think they've managed to um, to woo any new members. I mean, there was that thing that they said oh, about these, um, you know, they've had a thousand members a day joining or, or some other such figure. Uh, yeah. Someone suggested it may just be the annual renew date, renewal date for every single uh, uh, member, but um, I just, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's, it's, I think it'll probably leave them neutral. I think it makes them look a bit silly, but um, I mean, it does, it does. I, mean, I suppose, they could, you know, they... on the upside, it, it did get it did get coverage. Yeah. It set the agenda for a while. Yeah. But, you know, are. I'm still... And I think they are, as we speak, having an emergency three-hour debate on um, 
on the uh, uh, it was around particularly around the Sewell Convention. The Sewell Convention being the the idea that um, if um, Westminster legislates on an area of devolved power, which is entirely title, entitled legally to do, it will um, submit a motion to the, uh, I think it's called a legislative consent motion, otherwise known as a Sewell motion, named after Lord Sewell, who uh, came up with the idea. Uh, the idea is that the Parliament gives consent to Westminster to pass it on, but there's no legal requirement. And that's what they're now debating um, uh, about this, is whether or not um, uh, the Scottish Parliament um, should... Uh, it should, should be able to give consent. Interestingly, I uh, heard, heard on the radio, Lord Sewell did actually say that he didn't feel that, that uh, the Sewell Convention should be actually applied at this time because uh, the wording in the Convention says that uh, under normal circumstances, the uh, or, you know, normally, uh, you know, the, the Scottish Parliament or the Welsh Assembly would be given the, the option to uh, to uh, debate something before Westminster passes legislation. I mean, yeah. But... I mean, uh, God forbid one would suggest that politicians are playing politics. Yeah, well, they absolutely are. I mean, but, you know, it's 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 very good if you're the uh, the Nats mm. or Plaid Cymru or you know to to be able to say, oh well, you, you know, to stand up there and say we're at risk of or we are going to or they are taking power back from us and and devolution, you know, and it gives your supporters a bit of a bump and. Um, yeah. So it, it it invigorates the foot troops, I yeah. suppose. And uh, they got uh, this. They got this. But, I presume they got this debate out of it again, which gives them a little bit more, a little bit more mileage. And um, as we've said, it is kind of a bit of an anorak point. And I've obviously been waffling on about civil <laughs> motion, so I've just been caught in my own trap about yeah. uh, being a policy yeah. one. And you you, you right, rightfully pulled me back on track. Uh, but I think they are sort of trying to turn it into something, um, as you say, which is just a bit of minutia into something which. Uh, might start to excite the people of Scotland and think, yes, Westminster, how, how evil are they? I, I love, I'm just reading this, and Brendan O'Hara, um, who's a uh, SNP MP, as you will know, um, he said, um, so the Conservatives have never supported devolution to Scotland. They're using Brexit to reverse 10 years of devolution. Says he does not trust the Conservatives to honour their promise to hand back powers after seven years. Yeah. This is, quote, Scotland against the Tories. I remember originally um, there was, uh, I mean, initially, yes, it's got, it's got, it's, Conservatives were uh, opposed to devolution prior to the yeah. 99, but I do not think there is a chance in hell that the powers would not be returned. I do not think there's a chance in hell that the Conservatives... I mean, what, they just, they just, why would they not... Why, why, there's just nothing in it for them at all. And it plays very well into the narrative, but this idea that they are somehow grabbing power is uh, is just absolute rubbish. Um, and I do think it is completely and, and about practical, practical solutions uh, to do this. Um, and of course, these yeah. aren't power grabs because the Parliament doesn't have the power... Um, it, yeah. um, it, it, these are new powers that are coming in. Albeit, yes, the topic areas are 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 devolved to to, to the Scottish Parliament. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just I don't think it's nonsense. But um, as you say, it's a very good but opportunity also, for the I mean, SNP to knock it. Yeah, and politically, it works very well. But if you are, say, um, the Conservatives now, and you have a, a good amount of MSPs, a good amount of MPs, and all the rest of it, there's no way that you wouldn't want to devolve the power. Because you're then going to lose those MSPs and MPs in an election. Yeah, I think where the SNP. So, did, sorry. Yeah, so it would be. It would be. But I, I mean, I can see why the SNP. Yeah, doing, the, the SNP do have to be careful because on two areas. Because one of these things, I think, one of the issues is is, is, is around agriculture, and of course, they, it's all gone quiet. But there's still terrible problems with their uh, uh, Scottish rural uh, payments system. Yeah. Under the uh, Scottish rural uh, SRPD, Scottish rural uh, whatever it is. Uh, the the farm payments that they get um, from Europe, which are uh, administered through the Scottish government, that's still I think or, uh, or misadministered or misadministered by the Scottish Parliament and the other yeah. one or the Scottish government rather and the other one of course is the fact that uh, the SNP slightly dodgy position on their uh, uh, EU membership of an independent Scotland uh, they seem to have walked away from the idea of of being a member of the EU uh, but on the other hand they're wanting to sort of take the powers back from Westminster or back from Europe. Uh, only to hand them uh, straight back if they had an independent Scotland. So they do have to be slightly careful about it. And I think to some extent that does help to uh, throw a little bit of uh, of water on the fire of the yeah. SNP. And I think it does, because they've got these, these underhanded questions, uh, sorry, these, 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 uh, these um, uh, overhanging uh, or overarching questions about their, their policy, I think there's only so much value that they will get out of this. Um, I, but it buys them time, if nothing else. 
I see Ian Murray has just he's uh, in, uh, in MP for Embra South has just said that the SNP are part of the problem it now complains about. Uh, the SNP supported the programme motion and thus allowed voting time for the previous debate to eat into debating time on devolution issues. Mm. It says it's misinformation on the SNP to suggest that the powers are going to be taken from the Scottish Parliament via the EU withdrawal bill. He says it is, quote, politically expedient for the SNP and Conservatives to be seen to disagree. Yeah. See, we don't even need to do this podcast. We can just, I know. We can, we can just read we've out got, tweets. We've got, we've got Ian Murray, a, member for Edinburgh South Labour. He yeah. can do it all for us. But it's a very people good... could just be, people could just be watching uh, the Parliament Channel. Exactly. He makes a very good point, actually. Um, yeah, he does make a very good point. And uh, but I, but, and it is political, and um, so, and I expect many more. There are many more stunts to come. Yeah, interesting. Which will keep us in topics to talk about. Yeah, but. Um, uh, and will um, delight the foot soldiers and the uh, political warriors uh, and probably uh, students who think that walking out in protest, possibly singing a song, is always a good way of making a point. Yeah. Um, and slamming the door behind them. But, yeah. there, was an, there was an interesting point actually made by uh, Jim Sillers, the former SNP deputy leader in the Times, I think it was the Sunday Times, in fact. Um, and to be fair, I've, I've always been quite critical of, I think they're better at it now, but I have been critical of the way the UK government have behaved over the last sort of four or five years, particularly as regards to Scotland. They, they, they don't seem to make life easy. You kind of think there is an easy path that they could take just to kind of, but they do tend to fall into SNP traps. Bizarrely, David Cameron seemed to be, I don't know whether he was a little bit worse at it, but maybe it's just that uh, Theresa May has the benefit of hindsight with her, particularly with the referendum. But the point Jim Sillers was making, which is a very interesting one, was he said that every, and he's no fan of Nicola Sturgeon, so he, he does have a sort of slight axe to grind. Uh, but he said that every single one of these uh, arguments has been caused by Nicola Sturgeon. He said at no point has Theresa May got up and sought to cause conflict, whereas Nicola Sturgeon has done it every step of the way. Uh, and it's interesting, obviously, yes, Jim Sillers, he is SNP, or he is SNP ex-deputy leader, but he made that point. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think on balance, if you look at it, um, obviously we're biased because we have a particular viewpoint, not that I'm a huge fan of, of, our, of our current prime minister, but... You know, it's hard to find a, a situation when Theresa May has um, deliberately caused conflict with Scotland, whereas it is the SNP's raison d'etre to cause conflict with uh, the rest of the UK uh, at every opportunity. Well, yeah, because the logic, the logic, obviously for them, is independence above everything. Indeed. So they don't, they don't want to go. And it's all very well talking about you know devolution and then and them saying we're not going to have devolved powers, but fundamentally they don't want devolved powers. Yeah, actually, I, think... I mean, this is this is the irony that that. It it's it's um it's irrelevant whether powers are devolved or not because yeah. they want an independent nation. It would be interesting if ever the SNP did this. I I wonder whether after the, the referendum whether they might suddenly say right we're going to have a reboot, uh, and we're going to become the party of you know the party of we're in government we've got the party of federalism you know they can take that kind of history with them, and I think they might have been in a really really strong position um, politically to to, to govern. But obviously, yeah, yeah, they, well, yeah they, but they're, 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 their golden nugget is obviously independence and therefore um, yeah. sod everything else. And their, and their foot troops are going to go absolutely nuts if they do that. Mm. They'll just be betrayal and, you know, all the rest of it. So it's um, and actually, I suspect that the SNP would fracture at that point. Mm. Um, and then sort of what's the point of the SNP? Yeah. Because if they're not for independence, then... Um, if they're this sort of flabbily, softly, left-wingy type party, then there's the Labour Party for that sort of thing. Mm. There we go. Anyway, right. Excellent. So, uh, so ne- next up on the list is... Uh, you have a choice. You can have David Dimbleby or the Glasgow College of Art. Glasgow College of Art. Is that the correct title or was it the Glasgow School of Art? Ooh. Anyway, it was the, gar- it was the art question. school in Glasgow which uh, burnt down four years ago. A Charles Rooney Macintosh uh, inspired or designed building. Designed and uh, built. Yeah. Designed and built. Um, it was about to be finished, and then there's been another fire, and it's basically burned down again. Um, yeah. Which is a deep shame. Yeah, um, it is a deep and, shame. and actually a tragedy. But the question, and now, now this, and the interesting, there's it seems to be a big split of opinion about whether you rebuild it as a facsimile of what mm. went before, or whether you find a new young architect with ideas that may not be very popular yeah and rebuild it It'd be or interesting. whether you mash it up and keep the exterior and rebuild the interior yeah i imagine there'll be a bit, i'm guessing there'll be a mashup um 
it's a bit interesting to see a what caused the fire and b what the what the insurance what the insurance company says. I, I was just thinking this morning as I made my breakfast. I thought, God, I, I really fear for the uh, whoever's got to renew the insurance policy in the next four years' time when it's uh, it's just well, about to be finished for the third time. And they say, you know, the insurance rebuilding at this time is going to cost a hundred million. Yeah, what, what, what did it cost before? I don't know. Um, I th- it was either twenty-five or thirty-five million. Right, but it's, it's considerably less. Yeah, but uh, it is fascinating. I mean, I I I spent a bit of time when I worked in uh, property and construction, and uh, I once went to a, a conference. It sounds it sounded incredibly dull, but it was actually one of the most fascinating things I went to. I went to a, a the international. It was an international conference on building control, which sounds like you know watching paint dry, but actually it was fascinating. Um, and all these case studies about uh, fires that happened. For example, I don't know if you remember it, I think it was Rhode Island, there was a famous nightclub fire where I think everyone died. Uh, and simple things that, for example, when you build a stage, put the uh, the, the deafening, you know, the, 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 you know, the material to keep the noise out, put it on the back of the stage rather yeah. than the inside of it so that the flames can't jump from one wall to the other. Uh, yeah. Little things like that. And, you know, the importance of, you know, making sure you use, uh, you know, proper nuts and bolts because they built this huge big skyscraper in Japan only to discover that every single one of its sort of 10 million bolts had a fake hallmark on it and the question is well do you say well actually they're probably fine or do you think we have to demolish the whole building anyway the point being um, there's some fascinating stuff around building control but I don't know what it is that keeps a building sort of safe when it's in a construction site because obviously when it's complete it gets its completion certificate um, and all the standards are checked off you know fire health and safety so on so on but I don't know how you keep a, a working building site. Um, it's presumably not that difficult because most people build properties without burning them down. Um, but obviously, accidents can happen. Um, well, yeah. But, but it, I, did, I find it. I just find it. You just find it fascinating that it could happen. You just sort of think there's something about it that says, "Let's just make sure this doesn't happen again." You know, okay. You know, we'd be doing this anyway. But there'd just be something at the back of the mind that says, "You know, let's." You know. But um, it'd be interesting to see what the what the what, what the outcome was um, as, as as regards the uh, the investigations to see. But I, I do have, obviously, I have a huge amount of sympathy with them. But I just thought, for Christ's sake, how the hell could they let this happen again? Well, um, thankfully, uh, nobody was, was was injured in it. Yeah, um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Um, yeah, you're right. When the investigation happens, um, you know what uh, what the cause was. Mm. But um, it it happened relatively late at night. Who knows? Yeah, Who knows? and it was next to a night. A couple of nightclubs, I think, wasn't it? There was yeah. the, well, the O2, one of the O2 venues, which yes. is uh, uh, the O2 ABC, which uh, I was meant to be at actually in October, but it was my concert, my said concert uh, was uh, moved to the other O2 uh, venue in Glasgow. But that one, that's, that's the one I think. Absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure everybody wants to know that. It's completely irrelevant. It's completely, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a certain country singer who I, who I quite like. Um, really? Yeah. Oh, did you go to. Um, um, uh, and you know exactly who I mean. Who? Well, the certain country singer that you particularly like, I assume, is Dolly Parton. No, 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 not Dolly Parton. Oh, really? No. I, I like, quite like Jolene, Jolene, that one. But yeah. um, no, it was a guy called uh, Jason Isbell, who uh, I've seen a couple Never of... Never heard of him. Couple, yeah, you wouldn't have done, but he's a, he's, he's a good guy. Uh, anyway, um, and if you look at the aerial, aerial photographs, um, next to the... I could... Next to the... Yeah, anyway, fine, fair enough. If you look at the we'll aerial... Yeah, yeah, whatever. Um... The aerial photographs next to the uh, College of Art. There's a building, I think, with this roof caved in. I think that was it. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, um, what do you think? Should they should they rebuild it like brick for brick, or should they just keep a bit of a homage, uh, maybe a, a sort of Charles Rennie Macintosh wall, and just build build something new behind um, it? I'm really. I, it's a really interesting question, and I. Do you know what? I don't know. Um, I. I do see, I do see the argument behind not rebuilding it yet again, mm. um, uh, and uh, you know, uh, and it being a facsimile of, of what was there before. Or, or do they simply say, um, just go and find another building and uh, set up shop there? True. I mean, the only the only thing about re- rebuilding it is is all of those skills that are, are either lost or not particularly valued anymore to to build a building of that quality in that style. Mm. Um, it creates a lot of long term um, uh, a skill base for for restoration of old buildings. Mm. So maybe on that score alone, it's worth doing. Yeah, although they've had plenty uh, of practice already, to be fair. Well, I know, but only on the library. Now yeah, we've got the whole thing. To do. Um, True. Or maybe, or maybe they should. Maybe they should uh, 
you know, I, you can't leave it there as a shell. No. So, you know, you, it is true. You have three options. You rebuild it as a facsimile. Mm-hmm. You keep the exterior walls, assuming they're not going to collapse due to due to the heat of the fire, uh, and rebuild the interior. Or you just knock it down and start again. Mm. I don't know. Thank yeah. God it's not my decision to make. No. Whoever makes it uh, yeah. is going to get brick bats from everybody. Yeah, it was pretty and shocking when it happened again. As I say, my first reaction, uh, obviously, thankfully, after discovering that nobody... Uh, at the... Did you sound like Brenda from Bristol? Oh, I, do, you know what, do you know what? I did. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I sat in the car this morning and I was trying to remember Brenda from Bristol. I was like, oh no, not another one! Yeah. In, in my best uh, Bristol Although that accent. makes it sound as though she's from South London, it's just like, so that's not highly accurate. As someone who went to university in Bristol. Oh no, not another one! I can't, I can't do it. I do, I do, yeah, I do spend a bit of no, time in Bristol, actually. No, that's not quite right. <laughs> I like some armadillos. Mm, no, armadillos crunchy on the outside, soft on the inside. Time bar. Yeah. Yep. Uh, anyway, right. uh, on, on, that, on that segue, speaking of that, do you remember the dime bar adverts for... Um, uh, armadillos? Um, I like armadillos. It was it was the 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 dime bar abbots with with Harry Enfield, and the reason this is a particularly good segue is it moves us straight on to our next uh, topic, which is about uh, BBC Question Time. David Dimbleby has announced after twenty five years he will be uh, retiring from the show uh, at the end of this year to pursue other. Uh, well, he wants to go back into reporting because that was always his first love, rather than just kind of uh, presenting and uh, hosting. Um, and the reason this is an interesting segue is the very funny uh, Harry Enfield parody of uh question time if you if you google if listeners google uh, harry enfield question time you'll see it and my sort of analysis of, of, of sort of taking the news that uh, david dimbleby has uh, is, is, is 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 uh leaving the show was that question time as much as i still find it completely compulsive you can kind of have to watch it if i'm not well, if i'm allowed to, to be honest because it's it's not tolerated in this house because it's in my view, now actually quite it is actually quite bad when I think about it objectively. It's not as bad as any answers on radio. It's Call. become a parody of itself. Uh, <laughs> you go in, you go in there, and it's um, you know, it goes out at what sort of ten, you know, quarter to eleven on a Thursday night, and the audience are just all completely sort of sanctimonious. You've then got the most boring politicians, boring in the sense that they're all completely whipped. Uh, there's no, there's very little yeah. free thought. They're just there. They toe the party line. They're all sanctimonious. They always say the same. Things that everyone wants to hear. You it's then have the difficult decision. Yeah, you then have the well, exactly. You have the yeah, the difficult decision lot. You then have the the so-called independent people, who's usually some sort of smug left-wing um, comedian or some sort of token. I'm going to say something controversial, right winger, um, on the audience, and the whole thing is just completely horrible. Uh, and actually, it was interesting reading the article, reading the the the, uh, the readers' comments in the in the Sunday Times, which actually. I'd say readers' comments are usually nuts in newspapers, but actually the Sunday Times ones are actually fairly, uh, fairly new ones. But there was absolutely not, not, there was barely a good word to be said about not not the David Dimbleby. I think there's a lot of good to be said about him, but they said the way the show has gone, and to an outsider, it's just dreadful. Uh, it offers absolutely bloody. It's nothing. It's just so. It's like watching Extended. It's the kind of thing you watch because it's so miserable because it makes you feel better about your own life, and that is what Question Time is becoming. It's, it has become a parody of itself, and I, and I question anyone to 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 who doesn't believe me. Look at the Harry Enfield um, sketch done about four or five years ago, and tell me it isn't basically exactly what it is. It's brilliant, you know. It's 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 yeah. You have to watch it. I have to say, it's really there's lots of references I to bankers' bonuses. I by the watched, way, I can't even remember the last time I watched Question Time. Mm. Um, I switched off years ago. Yeah. Uh, probably for the, those exact reasons. Yeah. Um, and I, and I suspect many other people have done. And and I'm afraid a lot of that is not down to David Dimbleby. Um, but down to the producers, yeah, who and the bookers who are booking politicians. Um, I mean, and the politicians themselves. But you know, if you're if you're not, you know, they try to comprise a sort of a panel of the great and the good, as it were. Yeah, and I'm I'm not suggesting that you know we need uh, the BNP leaders on mm. it, but um, but actually. It becomes very monotonous yeah. with, with that sort of you know party party line rubbish. I'd agree. So, that... Who knows? I mean, a new a, a new, but I suspect the BBC will do what the BBC always does. So uh, we can have a slate on it either being uh, um, Jeremy Vine or oh no, because he's gone to the right stuff now. He's on Channel Five. 
Funnily enough, Mr. Wright was on Question Time last week. All the right stuff. Really? Yeah. He was one of the guests. He was one of the um. He was the um the non-political presenter uh, or right. panel member okay. rather. Yeah. Well, that would certainly put a spark into the Question Time. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly worry politicians who are having affairs. Yeah, well, I think I think the question being, it's not just about the reason that yeah, the the underlying question around this topic is uh, now that David Dimbleby is, is standing down, and uh, I think I think David Dimbleby on the whole is very good, um, but is it time to kind of give the, the format a refresh? I mean, that will happen naturally, I think. With with, yeah. uh, but it's just the, the sort of tone of it and contrast well, that. Here's a question for you: Who would you choose to um, as a as a provocative? Leader, I don't know because you don't. I don't think you want a provocative leader, to be honest. I mean, the, the interesting thing is, and the problem is because it's on so late, you don't. A lot of people don't get the benefit of it. But compare it with the tone of uh, the next program, which is this week, uh, yeah. with uh, Andrew Neil and usually Michael Portillo, and typically it's um, uh, what's her name, the two uh, percent, Diane Abbott. No, not not Diane Abbott. No, Jen. No, no Andrew. Somebody else will understand. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Michael Gove. It's sometimes Gooby. Uh, no, it's um, Liz. Liz, what's the, Liz? Liz. Liz. Um, who's the one that stood for the Labour leadership but didn't quite make it? And she's known as two percent oh. Liz or four percent Liz. That's her nickname. Yes. Um. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I want to say Liz. Liz is a Kendall. Liz Kendall. This is yeah, emba- it could have been. This is embarrassing. Yeah, it is. Call ourselves but bloody political. Another forgettable. Another. Another here today, gone tomorrow politician that yeah. no one remembers. But anyway, that that interesting though. Maybe this, maybe they do work together. Maybe the fact you've got this uh, very sort of horrible atmosphere at BBC Question Time, followed by the, the very relaxed um, and uh, uh, subdued um, and self-deprecating this week, because that has changed its format, you know, gradually over the years. Maybe that maybe yeah. that formula works quite well. But um, I think I yeah. I mean I I. Um, I would like a forensic chair yeah. who can who can uh, mind you. That's what I'd like on the Today program as well. And there's there seems to be no chance of that happening. I like, uh, I like Bill Maher. Do you know, have you seen Bill Maher? Uh, yes. Or was it Bill Maher? Yeah, yeah. Maher. You pronounce it Maher? Yeah. Maher? Yeah. He's an American, but he does a thing called yeah. uh, what's his show called? Well, um, he used to do politically incorrect, and he got, did. Um, he fired got... from ABC. Yeah. For saying it was during it was September 11th. I remember it was it. off September 11th saying. You did have to be pretty brave to fly a plane into a building. Yeah. And um, apparently, uh, they didn't understand the concept of being politically incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> I think his current show is called Real Time, but they have a very good one yeah. actually. Um, and I used to, they used to sort of put ten-minute snippets on um, on YouTube, and they're actually very good. And the nice thing was that I think there was an audience, although the audience didn't participate. But there was a panel of about four or five, and they would have people on, um, you know, opposite sides of the of the. Um, Opposite sides of the fence. There's always Republicans there. It's generally to be for generally had quite sensible Republicans, um, but they used to have the great debate, and it was a very collegiate, collegiate discussion. Um, yeah. So it was very non-confrontational. It was very kind of more matter of fact. Uh, Bill Maher's quite sort of light, moderately witty. Um, I think sort of seen as being sort of in American terms, very left wing, which means he's probably a a sort of uh, hang him and flog him <laughs> in, in Tory terms. Um, but yeah. I think you know that that format works very very well. If you could get people around the table who weren't so whipped, I think that would be a good starting point. And uh, I don't quite know what you do about the audience, but uh, uh, I've actually been on Question Time once before. I went I went there years ago in Glasgow, and funnily not enough, on the panel, I take it. No, not on the panel, sadly. But I went on the uh, in the audience, and I did phone. I applied, and they phoned you up in the interview, just a couple of topics, and say, "What do you think about this? What's your, what's your political affiliations, and so on?" And I asked my friend because. Basically, uh, well, he, he lived in Glasgow, and I thought I could go, we could go together. And he, I knew he had sort of slightly different political views than me at the time. So uh, he applied, and he got on. So we went together, which was quite fun. But uh, it was actually a really great experience to do. Um, although it would be interesting to sort of look back at those episodes. And that was probably, God, when was that, 15 years ago? To see how the, um, see if, if, if the tone of it has actually changed. Changed. Oh, yes. I suspect that 15 years ago, mind you, that was the heyday of, of you know, um, of the Labour Party and being on message and yeah. MPs with pages and being told to trot out the party line. So yeah, interesting. You, there was still there was still the awkward squad who were ignoring that. So that was something. Yeah, like Jeremy. Interesting. I remember that that um, that uh, episode was just the time that um, um, uh, John Leslie, the TV presenter, was in was in court. 
because that topic oh. was discussed. <laughs> and interestingly, well, exactly. And here we are. And this week, I was here on the radio today. He's he's back in court again. So. Uh, well, he hasn't been convicted. He does the, on trial. He does. He's innocent until proven guilty. The trial continues. It was interesting. Actually. I was listening to the evidence on the radio. It was on Radio Scotland today. Um, sorry, we're going slightly off tangent here, but it was interesting listening to the to the evidence and just hearing it and thinking, you know, it's going to be a tough one to prove. I think. Um, uh, not saying either way what what he said, but just listening to what the evidence was, you know, the, the prosecution may have a may have a tricky time. So it'll be quite an interesting case to see see uh, see what comes out of it. But um, yeah. Fair enough. Lastly, I'm going to throw in the last topic. All right. Uh, well, we've got some minutes left, and that's Jazz Fest. Jazz Fest. Yeah. Well, that's cringeworthy. Or, or Labour Live. Yeah, I feel I feel really sorry for for Eddie Izzard because I he was, sorry about that. Eddie Izzard was great. So I, I I came to I became a huge fan of Eddie Izzard when he released Dress to Kill, which is a real tour de force in terms of you know sort of two hour stand up. Yeah. Um, and. But by far that was his peak because his ones before it were kind of funny, but they kind of got there. But unfortunately, Eddie Izzard for the last twenty years has just been going down downhill. I mean, he's absolutely fine that he's you know no problem with him being uh, on uh, on um, a labour lover. Yeah, absolutely fine, of course. But the video that I saw of uh, Jazz Fest or Labour Live, whatever it was called, was uh, Eddie Izzard with about sort of an audience, you know, with capacity for probably fifty thousand, with about what looked like fifty people in the audience, and he's sitting there trying to sort of wing a a funny sketch about you know making Jeremy Corbyn a bit more human, and it was just cringingly bad. But unfortunately, that's, that's the way Eddie is. Out. He went into acting, I think, which is really good because he needed to change yeah. the scene. I quite like him acting, but I remember he he went on to uh, well, he did that show, the, the Dress to Kill, which was a real um, pinnacle show, and then yeah. he then did his next show. Now I watched that video as it was; it was a VHS video I had back to back. You know, I could recite it, you know, uh, from memory, just about. So I then, as a, as a true follower, went to his next show, uh, and I, I booked tickets for it. And then within a few weeks, there was a complaint in Watchdog. People say that he was basically using the same material in what was a newly, you know, branded show. Uh, and actually, it was pretty, pretty sketchy. He just basically regurgitated. And unfortunately, that was he's been as his stand has just been pretty poor ever since. And I remember one time he went on to uh, Richard and Judy, uh, and he started sort of dropping into conversation jokes that. Clearly, everybody knew, and it was just cringeworthy. Richard sort of said, "Well, that must be we know that's your joke. Why, you know, don't try and do it." And he then went off into acting, as I say, and he, I think he, I quite enjoyed him in things like is it Ocean's Eleven. He was in and things like that. Um, yeah, he was quite good at that. I think so. Uh, it was one of those some, some film with card trickery. Anyway, he was in films, and he was quite good. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, watching him, um, I thought I just sort of I, I, I cried for him. I cried for his uh, loss of comedic uh, success, but he. Tried to warm up a very small crowd at Jazz Fest. Um, I mean, I think I think it's interesting that I think the concept is interesting. Mm. I think the fact they had thirteen thousand people there is interesting. Bearing in mind it was in London, um, and and I see the I can see how they thought it was, or they think it's a good idea, and that you know post Glastonbury, you know all that sort all that sort of stuff. Mm. But I worry, you know, I, I worry once again, you know, you have that sort of, it's a sort of slightly, oh, I don't know, um, painful, um, you know, a, a sort of uh, getting all the all the all the the big names on, and well, the usual suspects, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's Jeremy Corbyn, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell, and Owen Jones, who you know can't help but pop up in front of anything that involves um him being uh, in, in the yeah well him being in the public eye yeah god forbid i mean he must he must go to pieces every if, and he has a day when he's not asked for his opinion on either a television show or um and i just i just wonder whether it's a you know i, I see it gets people together but there are party conferences for that sort of thing mm. You know, and are you, I mean, maybe, it, who knows, maybe it pulls in a different crowd from the party conference. And if it does, then that's then that's good if it gets a, a younger crowd there. Um, and it bringing a new sort of generation in. But... Yeah. I mean, a 35 quid a ticket, you know, that's no £3, £3 backdoor membership fee. No, you know, four quid for a pint of beer and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all... Um, 
it's it's not cheap. I mean, they, they, I've read some statistics saying that it cost the Labour Party so much money and they sold so few tickets that you know it cost them a thousand pounds per mm. attendee. Yeah, I read I that. Those, that's that's true or not? Anyway, yeah, you're right. But it sounds like it was a bit. Okay, of a well, pop. maybe it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, go on. I mean, you know, it's it's never. It's, let's face. Let's be honest. You know, if you the first time you do any of these sort of things, hmm. it's it's never going to make money, and it's um, and it's not a, uh, and and you think afterwards, my God, we shouldn't have done that, we should have done this, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. And any festival, no doubt, will tell you that. Yeah. Um, but I wonder. I, I think they would have been better off. Well, my instinct is they'd be better off doing it as a fringe event at a conference. Yeah. Than trying to do it as a you know as a as a, a, a sort of mini glastonbury as it were yeah well that's it there's one thing sort of sidelining an actual you know world famous uh music festival uh, there's another thing trying to recreate it um you know you know what was a sort of you know a flash in the pan oh jeremy corbyn moment and then suddenly yep. trying to recreate it uh and the other thing of course is that some some people would say well it was just you know serves them right because it was just because they're living in a bubble they just they just believe their own hype that they were much more popular than they actually are um, well, and, you t- and then you they know, wonder the, why no one turns just, up because actually there's just not that many people who are that excited yeah, and, about it. Uh, and actually, Martha Gill in the in the Guardian was saying that um, you know the the big nu- the magic numbers turned out for Corbyn on the big day, but politics isn't all about singing to the choir. Yeah, you know, and it's I mean, uh, as you say, it's thirty five quid for a ticket um, in North London, um, you know, and nice and middle class. Mm. Well, you know. Um, I, I wonder it would have been interesting to see what would have happened at a um, you know if this had been put on in a deprived part of the world um, in Hull or Scunthorpe or somewhere like that um, and uh, how many people would have turned up to it or if it had been free yeah absolutely. depends what they're trying to do what was the, what was the point of it I mean were they trying to raise funds were they uh, I don't know what was because you kind of think something like that if you just say right we'll just cover the costs and then people will just pile in it's far more you know if you'd said right it's free you get sponsorship or whatever it is or you say it's you know five quid ahead or something like that you know I suspect it may have been done but I think 35 quid people unless they're diehards aren't going to power that money for, for yeah for a political, I mean if you've got you to know. be pretty much you've got to be pretty much a supporter I mean I would think yeah I mean, Christ, yeah, 35 you... quid, I would think, well, you know, is there going to be decent music? Yeah. You know. I mean, Clean Bandit, I'm a big fan of Clean Bandit. It's just sorry they're so uh, loved up with Jeremy Corbyn, but, you know, I, I can forgive them for their political... Uh, forgive them <laughs> this for, is for almost, their political almost, views, but... Uh, least that wasn't quite as painful a statement as, as Gordon Brown saying uh, that he liked the uh, Arctic... He woke up to the Arctic monkeys on his iPod every morning. Right. Possibly one of the worst lies... Uh, before Donald Trump arrived on the uh, on the scene, yeah, deeply unbelievable. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so we suggest in future the, that we don't try to have a Teresa Fest. Is yeah, that the answer? yeah. Although yeah. I can see Ruth Fest working. Yeah, well, she does. She does get the crowd going. Actually, she's uh, yeah. she's very good. Um, yeah. They 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 say it biasly. <laughs> yeah, and I could. Jeremy's terrible. Teresa's great. No. Yeah, I could definitely see Ruth bringing Ruth's down great. the house late at night. In that, well, she wouldn't now. She's pregnant. Yeah. Right? You know, I could I could see a, a long night of dancing to cheesy music in a nightclub, uh, yeah. possibly with shots of tequila. Yeah. Have no doubt about that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be an interesting discussion for future, actually. There was, there's been quite a bit of debate about, about, we've talked about it already, about membership numbers of political parties. We can pick that up at another time. So uh, we will yes. uh, we will uh, put that thought on our, uh, if, if we were at one of those cringingly uh, uh, annoying um, um, away, you know, those sort of, um, Strategy days. day or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we would put it in our car park, which would be the, uh, which would be the, uh, the the bit of flip chart paper on the wall for parking ideas. So we'll stick right. it on our post-it note and stick it in the car park. Hang on, isn't that, isn't that when you put it in the car park? Isn't that just basically euphemism saying no, we're not going to talk about <laughs> yeah, that? Off. It's a crap idea. Yeah, it's a crap idea. I'm really boring. It's a plant way. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a way. Should, of... We should we should definitely talk about um, uh, membership numbers. It's a way of keeping um, the. In the fact, up. we yeah we did touch on it before, didn't we? Yeah, I think what's interesting. Is 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 the uh, is the idea about uh, membership numbers? You know, five hundred thousand members does not a electoral majority make. So, um, this idea between you know activism and people wanting to be bold, loud, and proud about their political f- affiliation, and then 
people who sort of vote conservative and typically stay a bit quiet about it. But uh, again, that's a that's a that's a discussion for. Uh, well, it was a, yeah, it was always Richard Nixon who talked about the silent majority. Well, in indeed. So very true. Right. Great stuff. So uh, I think that's us for uh, this episode. You can find us on our uh, various podcast channels, uh, the iTunes, the uh, Tinter web, if you look us up, uh, uh, Stitcher. Are you subscribed yet, Nick, by the way? Uh, no, I've got to do that. Sorry. It's fine. It's fine. Actually, no, it's, quite, it's actually quite nice because if... if, if I don't if, want to... If, I don't, you just sound bloody vain. I want if, to increase our listeners by 50%. Exactly. You, uh, you just... Yeah, exactly. You click, you click that button, subscribe, and we'll have doubled our... Uh, Double okay, I'll, do, I'll do that now. I'll do Brilliant. that now. Well, uh, it, it also sounds quite vain if you think, why the hell are you subscribing to yourself? Yeah, I know. It's just not, it's not me. But anyway, but what I have to say is important because otherwise I wouldn't be putting it on the air. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, on that note, uh, yeah, next time. Tune in next time. Thank you very much for listening. We're the One Nation Pragmatists. I'm Neil Freshwater. I'm Nick Lampen. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>